0: I'll have what she's having.
1: Welcome to the Our Better Half podcast. It's June fifth, twenty sixteen. I'm Laura Listermensch and this is episode twenty. I need to confess something to you. I thought that Shades of Grey was the worst written book I've ever read. I know. I should be nice to the author and to the fans and to lovers of BDSM, so I'm sorry to be mean, but I am duty-bound, to be honest. Shades of Grey was terribly conceived, written, and hyped. But my real shame is that I didn't just read it. I read one and a half of them. I wanted... I needed to know what all the fuss was about and the anticipation of there being something so taboo and so exciting was in itself exciting until I snapped out of it. Now, bad writing and bad sex did a lot for self-publishing and for ebooks and as a fellow author of both I must salute EL James. But what did Shades do for its topic? It was originally written as fan fiction for a popular vampire series, but then was reframed as a BDSM story, bondage, domination, sadomasochism. There's a poignancy to the fact that sexy vampires and werewolves have long been romantic fair, but BDSM is taboo. BDSM as a topic was really out of the mainstream before that book and got an enormous boost from the popularity of the Grey series. Suddenly, staid and vanilla folks were downloading this soft smut and buying velvet-wrapped handcuffs and little whips, and we learned from the horrible Christian Grey that being tied up and whipped and being ordered around was actually itself laced up in a system of rules and conventions more legalistic than the U.S. Congress and more honor-bound than golf. So, Now that we know that many people get their erotic kicks from kinky games of domination and submission, here's the question. Is it only for young people or can oldsters play too? I had the topic on my list, my long list, of future topics for this podcast, but it got bumped in the queue by a tweet from Black Pomegranate, a pair of BDSM sex educators. Their own relationship is, as they say, complicated. I'll introduce you in a minute, but first, two terms they use that may throw you off as they did me. Scene partner and rope duo. A scene is an agreed-upon encounter, and a rope duo is about rope bondage. They offer classes and are very active on social media, so check the show notes for definitions if you like before you go on. They've even been awarded Sex Blogger Superhero of 2015. Mr. Black and Ms. Pomegranate are not yet in their second half. They're in their 40s, but they teach to older folks, and they had some thoughts on ageism in the kink community that I thought you gentlefolk may want to hear. So buckle up, decide on your safe word, and meet Black Pomegranate and gentler listeners, if this is not a topic you know much about, I want to reassure you this is a gentle conversation and unlikely to merit your fainting couch. Now, I give permission for my guests to speak for themselves. I want to welcome Mr. Black and Ms. Pomegranate to the show. How are you?
2: Hello, how are you today, Laura?
1: Good, how are you doing? It's really um, a pleasure to have you on the show, and this is a topic about which I know nearly nothing, so I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective, and we're going to talk about kink for older people. I'll have you define kink in a moment, but first, tell me about yourselves and your relationship.
2: I'm a same partner and a uh, blog partner with uh, Ms. Pomegranate, and uh, we're also a duo, um, we we do a lot of writing together, we do presentations, we teach classes, we present at conventions, and uh, we try to educate people as often as we can about kink and about BDSM.
1: Now, how about we define, what is kink? I think some of us think we know what that means, but what would you define it as?
2: I would define kink as an alternative style of sexuality that is outside what people consider normal relationships or a more normalized form of sexuality that um, society presents to us as the model for um, relationships or sexuality. So if you have a fetish where um, you have a sexual attraction or um, you have sexual feelings for, you know, Uh, certain fetish that you have or a certain type of activity, and that's outside of a normal range, that would be more of an alternative style of um, sexuality, and kink would fall under that.
1: How about examples of what kink would be?
2: Um, Something that would be considered kinky is uh, we teach bondage to a lot of people and teach bondage classes. Um, Bondage would be something that's considered kinky because... It's outside of, well, it's getting more mainstream now, but it's a little risque or it's something a little different where if you get sexually charged when you're tied up or you're tying somebody up, that may be something that could be considered kinky. Or if you like to be spanked, they call often call spanking the gateway drug when it comes to kink because usually either spanking or light bondage are the first activities that people usually involve themselves in when they have a kinky interest.
1: What does BDSM stand for?
2: BDSM stands for bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. The S can also stand for submissive as well. And that's kind of an, that term is from 1991, but it's an overall term for anything that's considered like a fetish lifestyle. And those four pillars, that bondage, domination, submission, or sadism, that's, and uh, masochism, that's all like under the umbrella of bondage people that play with impact people that um play with sensation and pain control it's um dominant, submissive um relationships it's kind of an umbrella term that's come to mean like everything kinky
1: all right so coming from the perspective of someone who is unfamiliar with this i have to you know i have to I examine my feelings about this and i think okay um pain, bondage, domination, submission, uh, sadism, masochism, all these things seem, you know, I feel like I've been raised to think that those are not only bad, but not sexy. So where did you start with that? Or how did you come to looking at these things as sexy and as not Bad things.
3: Well, I think we need to back up just a second because I think when you think about BDSM, you automatically think of one person giving pain and another person inflicting pain. And that is really only one aspect of kink or BDSM. There certainly is a lot of pain activities out there, but there's also a lot of ones that don't involve um, somebody. Giving or or, or, or um, receiving pain, so you know there's like sensation with um, feathers and ticklers or rope, which is which can be something that doesn't involve um, pain. There can be all kinds of sort of sensations play or, or dressing up. Even what you wear can be a, can be a kink. It's also really important to separate the word kink and fetish, because fetish is something that a person has to have to be sexually aroused. By definition so if you have a fetish for leather you won't get sexually aroused unless you smell or can touch leather oh um if you have a kink if you have a kink for leather it means you think somebody in leather is really sexy and you prefer it if they were in leather but it doesn't necessarily have to happen for you to get in the mood
1: so fetish is more like the meat that you need to survive but kink is more like the spice
3: right exactly <laughs> exactly um then you sort of went into, you know, the things that you've raised, I think, that are bad, which is definitely why this particular activity or activities fall outside of the mainstream, because it goes against what certainly American society, I think that's what we need to focus on, um, considers bad. Other countries are are a little bit more open to it. So it doesn't matter, really. And, and of course, we can all know in recent history even gay sex was considered bad. Mm. So... Fortunately, that's changing it's it's about pushing those boundaries about what you think might be something different or, or a little bit a little bit bad a little bit bad is certainly part of the allure of it There's a couple of things i just wanted to to interject there
1: okay are we born to find certain things erotic or are we taught because you teach kink
3: yeah, there's no good answer. So I just read a book um, called PERV. So he actually explores this quite a bit and talks about, you know, whether or not it's something that's innate or something that we're learned. And, you know, the answer is nobody knows. And, and of course, the reason is because you just simply can't do those sort of tests on children. But one of the things he does say is that men, by the age of, or boys, males, by the age of 10 to 12, their sexuality is pretty much set in stone. They tend to not to be fluid. They tend not to change over the lifetime. Everything about them is set in stone, whether they are going to um, have a foot fetish, whether they are going to prefer men or women, um, even whether or not they will be a, a pedophile. Those are all set in stone before puberty hits. Women, however, uh, are much more fluid and can change their sexuality, their likes, Dislikes, kinks, whatnot, throughout their life. And you'll see that in society. So, the answer to your question is eh, no one knows. What we do know is that um, a lot of these things are set in early life for males and come later in life for females.
1: And so, over the lifespan.
3: Yeah, so if a guy says, I have an interest in leather, chances are he's always had an interest in leather. It's just that he's now um, voicing that desire. So the book is called Perv by Jesse Baring.
2: And I can kind of attest that that's true because I've always liked bondage. Um, mm-hmm. I used to remember watching Wonder Woman back in the 70s and the early 80s when I was a kid. <laughs> and I, I focused on those episodes where she got tied up. I remember it was one episode where she was chained to spread eagle in a um, jail cell. Mm-hmm that stuck in my young mind, or um, (laughs) comic books, uh, bondage in comic books. Mm -hmm. And for years, I suppressed that because I didn't know or wasn't sure if that was right. And when I learned about BDSM and kink, I learned that it was all right, that it was acceptable, and that it was something that I could uh, participate in 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 a safe way, in, in a consensual way. That's something we haven't actually touched on. The difference between um, kink and BDSM versus abuse, or like some of the bad things that you associated with bondage and domination and such, the biggest difference between those two areas, between kink and abuse, is consent. Everything that happens in um, BDSM or kink should be consensual with both parties at all times.
1: Okay, how does that work? Talk about consent. It's actually almost well,
3: well how you think it works it, it's a really boring part of bdsm so um <laughs> there's no way around it you you meet a person and you say i would like to play because anytime you um are in a dungeon or in a party and you want to do an activity it's called play and and dungeons are often called play spaces as opposed to, as opposed to dungeons and parties are often called play parties so you say i want to play and the other person will ask you what type of play that you want to do and and if he consents to doing that type of play, then you go further. Okay, let's say I want to do an impact play. Okay, um, you know, where do you want to be hit? Where do you not want to be hit?
1: Is that what impact means? Uh, impact means um, hitting hitting a person
3: with something, whether it's a hand or a paddle or an instrument, anything. You have to ask the person where they want to be hit, where they don't want to be hit. Do they want, you know, hard impact or soft impact? If there's going to be sexual contact, you need to ask them about STDs. I mean, it's really very sort of boring and invasive, but it's there to keep everybody safe. And one of the most important things you do during consent is talk about how the scene will end, either how it will end naturally or how it will end if there's an emergency. So we talk about safe words during a consent or during negotiations when we talk about safe words. So green is, I'm good. Yellow is, you know, that's too hard. Maybe back out. And red means stop. We're done. We're done. I'm, I'm not doing good, I need to get out of the scene so we build in safety measures for people to be able to get out of the scene quickly if they want to and that's how consent works it is a laborious part of, of BDSM but it's there to keep everybody safe
1: People who like, for example being dominant in, in a sexual context okay. are those going to be people who like being dominant in their regular life with their other relationships or is there no correlation?
2: It's often no correlation. I'm dominant in the BDSM scene, but generally I'm pretty much an introvert and pretty much a quiet person. I'm not very assuming a lot of times, and I certainly don't carry my um, persona that I have as a dominant in my normal everyday life. I'm just the opposite. I'm a dominant in the scene, but I'm a bossy
3: person who speaks her mind and, and kind of a control freak. So <laughs> you have both um both spectrums there. I mean dominants can be um anything, you know, they can be quiet people or submissive in their lifestyle, or they can be CEOs. But very often with men who come into the scene Uh, It tends to be a little bit of a cliche, but it's true is that, you know, powerful men tend to come in and want to be submissive, especially to women. Um, So I see that a lot. Again, you also see less than you do the other, but, you know, you do see some powerful men who are are dominant as well. So there really isn't doesn't seem to be any correlation to an outside life and how they are in the scene.
1: So you teach kink to older people, younger people, too, I assume.
3: Yeah. We teach aspects of kink. You can't teach kink as a course in itself because it's, you know, that'd take forever. But we teach aspects of it. So we might teach impact play or we might teach bondage, we might teach consent. And each one of those is a module that we will teach.
2: It's more like giving people tools or teaching people how to use specific tools so they can go out and do things and pursue their kink life and their kink journey for themselves.
1: And how did they find you? We write a blog called
3: theblackpomegranate.com. Mm -hmm. through there that we do all of our writings announcements whatnot all of our available presentations we're also on twitter black pomegranate blk pomegranate also on on facebook under persephone's bed
1: can we talk about older people sure are older people that you've worked with that have sought out your classes are they different when it comes to kink
2: Uh, Yes, because generally older people, uh, all depending on the time frame that you grew up in, like if you're a person in your 50s, you tend to have grown up maybe in the 70s, so there are certain things that you're going to have a harder time accepting that it's okay to do. Um, If you're an older man, generally you were taught never ever to hit a woman under any circumstances. If you were a woman, you were perhaps told or taught, never to be overly assertive or overly bossy or overly oppressive. You were taught that bondage isn't a good thing. You were taught that um, striking somebody isn't a good thing. And what you have to do is kind of break down some of those stereotypes and say, yes, there is a context where all of those things are bad, but if you're doing those same activities in a consensual way and you're doing them in a way where you've learned and you have the correct techniques to do things, then it can be a pleasurable and a good activity. A good example would be something like bondage. If you tie a person and you tie them in a BDSM scene, You're tying them in a specific way where you're watching the knots that you tie so they don't tighten up. You're watching that person's joints and ligaments and their circulation. You're watching their breathing. You're checking in with that person to make sure that they're okay. You have safety scissors or um, safety cutters close by so you can release that person from bondage quickly if if they have to be released. You have something like a safe word where that person is able to communicate to you if the scene, if they want to be out of the scene or if they want the scene to continue longer. So there are certain mechanisms in place and that's a lot of what we teach. The mechanisms that you can have in place to make a scene safer, to make it consensual, and to make it something fun versus something that's going to be violent or something that's going to be a violation of a person.
1: When someone is uh, participating in BDSM, they're also carrying their personal histories, obviously, which may and have involved traumatic relationships. Uh, they may have experienced rape or abuse. Um, how, does, how does that play into this?
2: That comes into play a lot of times in the, in the negotiation process where you will speak to somebody and say, well, do you have triggers? Or, are there certain things you want to approach in a scene or are there certain things you don't want to approach in a scene? And it varies. You can never really assume. There are people that have um, a past history of abuse but they're able to play BDSM scenes and it doesn't affect them at all. There are some people that have triggers because of past abuse and they stay away from certain types of play and stay away from certain scenes. So what you have to do if you're going to do a scene with somebody is as part of negotiating that scene, you have to ask, well, do you have triggers? Are there things that I should stay away from? Are there things that are okay for me to do? And it's it's a, almost like a checks and balances where you find out where you can go in the scene and where you're not supposed to go in the scene.
1: Are older people welcome in the world of BDSM and kink?
2: Um, to a degree, yes, and to a degree, no. A lot of times, unfortunately, the kink scene and the kink community can be very segregated, and it can be segregated sometimes by age. There are uh, organizations like T- TNG organizations, which stands for the new- the Next Generation. And those typically tend to skewer towards younger people, like anywhere from the age of 18 to to 35. And there are such a thing as age-restricted parties where um, you aren't allowed to go to a party if you're above 35 or you're above 40 years old. I remember uh, where we're based at in Baltimore, there was um, a gentleman a few years ago that had parties and he used to have like a blanket, almost like a uh, blanket restriction on anybody over the age of 40 coming to his party uh, because he skewed his parties towards younger people. Um, But then on the other hand, there are parties and there are people in the king community that only deal with people that are older. They want people in their 40s or their 50s that have a certain degree of experience and a certain number of years in the same, and they don't want younger people at, at a party. So you have some people that are very favorable to older people, especially if they have knowledge and experience, and then there are some people that aren't very um, open to older people. So it varies widely.
1: So this show is about people who are 50 and above, in the really in the second half of life. You you are Neither of you are, have reached that point yet, right? No, no. I'm picturing someone out there listening and they've always felt an attraction to this and they find out, oh my goodness, this is maybe maybe this is something I could explore. What would they do?
2: Well, um, the world of kinkish changed a lot because it used to be that you had to actually join a community, you had to become vetted in that community, and it took a frankly, it took a while for you to get involved in that community. But um, kink is something that you very much can define for yourself. So there are a lot of different avenues that you can, a person can go to explore kink and to participate in kink in some way. Um, if you want to join what's called the public scene, where you're going to be going to public play spaces and um, Going to public events is FetLife.com it is a big website. It's a um, like a social networking website for kinky people or people to believe in our BDSM and our practice BDSM. And um, you can find out about parties, events, and classes. And it's very open air. I mean, if you look hard enough on Facebook, you can find um, kinky um, events or kinky organizations. If you look on Twitter, you can um, connect with kinky people. And from that, you can kind of start to learn about classes, you can learn about conventions where you can go and take classes and have a chance to play, have a chance to connect with people and start to do scenes that way. And then on the other hand, you have people that don't want to be in the public scene. And if you don't want to be in the public scene, um, Kink tours are very easy to buy now purchase because there are many retailers online and uh, in most major cities, so... You have some people that if they just want to do bondage, they can go to a sex shop and buy um, bondage gear or they can buy um, a vibrator or they can buy uh, impact, a simple impact toy. And if they have a partner, somebody that they can play with at home, that may be their gateway to get into kink. So it's a lot of different avenues to getting in, of getting into the kink world all depending on how far you want to get into it and how far you want to go because it's a little different for everybody.
3: I order to caution with life. If you've never been on FetLife, it can be very shocking because everything in, and all is out there for you to see, and so if you're easily shocked, you might have to just sort of put on your blinders, and if you are trying to get in the public scene and maybe just can't navigate, one of the things I recommend is to find uh, somebody in your local scene, and usually you'll have to do that, uh, you know, again, through FetLife, who is an older person, and likely they've been in the scene um, a long time, and they might uh, help you, ease, your, ease you into the public scene if that's, what, if that's what you want. And again, like you said, if you're playing at home, one of the things to do is to research you know, how to maybe to get the toys that you want. You can get them online um, and how to use them. We certainly do do tutorials on our site on how to use them, and we review a lot of things. So there are lots of ways and lots of information. It can be a little bit overwhelming, but if you reach out, for the most part, people in in the scene are very nice and willing to make introductions or to help ease anybody's way into it.
1: Can you tell a quick anecdote or story of an older person or an older couple that you've encountered for whom these classes or exploring this have been a positive thing in their life
2: or a negative thing? Um, yes, I've got a positive story. Where, um, I actually introduced a couple to bondage for the first time. Both of them were in their 60s. And the gentleman in the couple, he was a dominant and he wanted to learn how to tie. And he didn't know how to tie. His partner, who was his submissive, she had never been tied before, and um, I actually was um, was at a class, and the class broke up into small groups, and I started talking to them and explaining different things to them, and I was able to, just standing there, was able to take both of them through the process, I was able to explain to him how to tie, To give him safety information, to give him technique information about bondage. And I tied his partner, and that was the first time that she had ever been in bondage. And she relaxed and she absolutely loved it. And they went on and they were able to add that to their relationship and were able to add that to their sexual life.
1: Hmm. Any cautions? Things that people should worry
2: about? The kink world is like any other world. You have bad people, you have predators. You have uh, people that you can't trust. Because you're in the kink world or the BDSM world, it's not a fantasy world. I always kind of joke and say it's not the Smurfing Village. Um, <laughs> you have to be discerning and you have to be careful who you associate with. You have to be careful who you trust and you have to be careful who you deal with. The problem with kinks sometimes is people tend to rush in. Because people spend so many years searching for this world, and when they discover kink, it's almost like, uh, oh my goodness, I can participate and do all of these things. And people tend to rush in and do everything. It's like you can you can kind of notice people that are new to, completely new to the scene because they tend to go to a party every week, or they tend to try and go to every convention, or they tend to try and go to every class, or they are always, if they go to a party, they may try to do five scenes in a night at a party. So it's almost like they become so immersed in it that they don't really think about what they're doing because they're just enjoying this new thing. And sometimes when you rush fast with things, you tend to make mistakes and you tend to make poor judgments.
1: Hmm. So you two are not in the second half of your life yet. I want you to imagine for me that you're 30, 40 years older than you are now. Will you still be involved in this world and uh, you know what do you envision for yourselves in this way when you're much older?
3: That's a good question and I wish I had a crystal ball mm-hmm. um, and the answer is I don't, I don't know. Um, I certainly would always like to advocate for sexual freedom no matter what your age or what you're doing and I hope that in 30 or 40 years um, I'm still doing that. I'm still encouraging people to find their bliss when it comes to, to sex and I'm still educating or not whether or not I'm still hanging upside down from a rig and rope, um, that remains to be seen. Uh, um, so, I, you know, I can't say. All I can say is that advocating for sexual freedom is certainly a lifelong um, passion, no matter whether or not I'm going to a play party every week or I haven't been to one in a year.
2: How about you? I honestly can't say. I would hope it's to some capacity that I would be into kink for the rest of my life, but I honestly can't say. I always hope that I can touch people in a positive way, and if I have knowledge and skills that I'm able to help people with and to help people along the sexual journey, then I certainly would be willing to do that. But whether I'll be in kink personally the rest of my life, I truly don't know.
1: Well, this has really been interesting. Thank you so much for this.
3: You're welcome. It's been fun to do.
1: You know how you have a conversation and later you wish you'd asked a question. Well, there was a question I regretted not asking black pomegranate. So I wrote to them to ask their thoughts on this question. How much of kink comes from the taboo of the activity in question? If something that is now considered kink became mainstream, would it perhaps lose its erotic power? In other words, is the taboo part of the erotic power Or is what attracts us erotic on its own? They sent me this answer. The danger with kink becoming mainstream is that it begins to lose what made it special in the first place. For example, we teach that every rope bondage experience is unique. If people become complacent about the experience, then they are losing the emotional connection, which makes kink special. For some people, the fetish experience is what retains the erotic power. For others, it's the emotional high of participating in the experience. It's truly different for everyone. Thank you, Black Pomegranate, for that follow-up. And by the way, Black Pomegranate will be presenting at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit on the topic of diversity in kink communities. It's time for a Kegel exercise break, right where you are, whatever you're doing, no one can tell. Let's do five good pelvic floor squeezes and releases together now. Our youth translator, Marina Maklos will explain that to a grandma, or in this case, a grandpa.
2: Whoa, lumbersexual, what's that?
0: Okay, Grandpa, I think you're going to like this one. So, you know that guy in the coffee shop who's in front of you and he's nearly indistinguishable because of his beard and man bun? Well, that's what we call a lumbersexual. A lumbersexual is basically a modern-day term for a lumberjack, Think. Paul Bunyan crossed with your craft brewer. It's characterized by flannel shirts, finely groomed beards, and of course, a little bit of swagger. The term homosexual has inspired many hashtags and numerous Instagram accounts, and of course, a lot of fantasies. So Grandpa, are you thinking of growing a beard? You are the kids all the
2: Take it from me, parents just don't understand.
1: Welcome, Dr. Rosalind Baculum. What do you have today for us? Today, I have a new study that helps explain why
0: men, men not women, fake orgasms. So the issue of faking orgasms is, is most associated with women and even the opening clip on this podcast of the scene from when Harry Metzelli is is perhaps one of the most famous. But mm-hmm. women aren't alone in faking orgasms. It turns out men do it too. There's a new study in the journal Sexual and Relationship Therapy that, that tries to understand this phenomenon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the researchers recruited about two hundred and thirty men between the ages of eighteen and twenty nine who had reported pretending to orgasm at least once in their current relationship. It turns out that the participants actually fake orgasm about one quarter of the time with their current partners. This doesn't mean that, of course, one quarter of the time that you yourself have sex, your male partner may be, orgasm, just that among men who do it, they do it roughly one quarter of the time. And most frequently with the, the standard um, penile vaginal sex, although it can happen in other types of sexual encounters as well. Hmm and the researchers wanted to delve deeper rather than just the circumstances in which men faked orgasms but, but also to understand better why they did it they interestingly they found that not only was faking orgasm associated with being drunk which is known to Affect male sexual performance, but it was also associated with higher levels of relationship satisfaction. Now, of course, this association doesn't necessarily mean that that faking orgasm means better relationship, and, and one certainly hopes not, but that the relationship could, in fact, be the other way around. That people who have better relationships have better emotional investment in their relationship could, in fact, be more likely to fake orgasm in a way to preserve the relationship. You're concerned about how your partner might feel if you don't climax at the end. So it's rather than having a discussion about it, you fake it. Most people have, have probably faked it at one time or another, and there might not be a, a huge issue with doing it once or twice, but the problem is, is of course, seeing orgasm as the be-all and end-all of sex, sort of, you know, you can't have a good sexual experience if you don't climax at the end. And I think that's where the real problem lies, because sex can be fun, even without orgasm. And mm-hmm. orgasm is certainly fun, and I'm pretty sure my, my mother would be shocked at me saying that. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily the climax, no pun intended, of, of every sexual encounter it is separating the issue of orgasm
1: and good sex. And was there discussion of whether men fake it for different reasons than women? They didn't look at women in this study,
0: so it's, it's really difficult to say. There do appear to be some similarities, given that, you know, some of the men would fake an orgasm just because of They weren't feeling it that time. They weren't having a good sexual experience at that particular time, but they cared about their partner and faking it was simply easier than admitting that they weren't really into it at that time. So in that sense, there do appear to be, be some overlaps, and especially in the issue of it's easier to fake an orgasm than have a discussion about one sexual desire and being able to be enjoying certain aspects of sex, but not necessarily needing to climax every single time.
1: It begs the question, although this research was on younger men, so we don't know, but I wonder if it's generational or age-related.
0: The age group in this was only 18 to 29, so being able to generalize whether this might be true in older individuals isn't clear. Certainly, I would imagine there might be more of Perhaps medical or physiological reasons, that could get in the way, too.
1: Yeah, very interesting. We'll have a link in the show notes at ourbetterhalf.net for anyone who wants to learn more. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey! It's June. Who can we welcome to sex over 50 this month? First, let's see who's turning 90. David Attenborough, the naturalist. Don Rickles, the comic. And Abdullahi Wade, the head of state in Senegal. How about 80? Having sex over 80. Engelbert Humperdinck, the singer. Wavy Gravy, the activist. And Lou Gossett Jr., the actor, turning 70. Lee Todd, the president of the University of Kentucky. Candace Bergen, who played Murphy Brown. Donovan, who sang Mad About Saffron. Susie Randall, the fetish and porn photographer. And Cher, turning 60. Elmer Wayne Henley, the murderer. Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, the religious leader. And Mirak Topolnik, the prime minister of Chechnya. But here we are. Entering the second half of life and having sex over 50 as of now. Sigbjorn Apeland, the Norwegian musician and scientist. Met Lotliso Linio, Lydia, and the Lesotho Diplomat. Stephen Baldwin, the actor. Fabrice Morvin, half of Millie Vanilli. Janet Jackson, also the singer and also pregnant. And Luke Ford, the pornography gossip columnist from Australia. In case you missed it in sex news i'll catch you up a bookstore in wales has created an adult play fort out of their used copies of shades of gray the fort is impressive but the stack was out of control so they had to do something with them and they're made with non-recyclable materials more's the pity so they're asking people to stop bringing them in ebooks people ebooks We already knew that Shades of Grey fans were a little wicked, but researchers from the Ohio State University recently found that young female Shades fans who found these tomes romantic tended to be more sexist and more hostily sexist against other women. Apparently, women who enjoyed the depiction of a dominant man and his submissive young lover tended to believe that men are superior to women generally. Women who thought Shades of Grey was abusive and degrading were more egalitarian. Not shocking, but still good to know. As mentioned before, I am not feeling Shades of Grey's literary value, but some of the reviews are very much to my snarky taste. I highly recommend the article, The Best Thing About That Horrible Mommy Porn Book Is This Review, linked in the show notes. I do not wear booty shorts myself, even my bathing suit has a skirt, but I may need to buy some and give them out as gifts to all my friends who are planning any air travel. Are you with me? Especially on JetBlue Airlines. A young lady who was rocking such adorable shorts was refused passage on her connecting flight for being too provocative, which isn't, by all reports, a compliment. If we all start wearing booty shorts on planes until airlines learn not to arbitrate women's appearance it's a good thing. And I love the idea of an army of over 50 women in booty shorts taking to the air and hot flashes and hot pants. Well, that's awesome. We've dabbled in BDSM on this episode, but is there really anything more BDSM than being literally eaten by your partner after sex? Hats and booty shorts off to the sexually cannibalistic colonial spider, Sertifora citricola, who provides a tasty, and protein-rich snack to his mate after coitus. You can read about that in the Coy Males and Seductive Females in the Sexually Cannibalistic Colonial Spider piece in the Public Library of Science journal for June. It's time to say goodbye almost, so old people, I'm wishing you some lovely orgasms this week. And in the next two weeks, I'm delighted to bring you a very charming psychopath. To be talking to you, but a little bit frightened because I know you as an accidental but really unapologetic murderer and drug dealer. And don't forget, I run a brothel. So. <laughs> I know. And I'm thrilled to introduce you to the 86 year old mother of masturbation. Oh,
0: okay, sex after 50 Mm -hmm.
1: yeah well I qualify (laughs) me too
0: hey this is Dan Savage from the Savage Lovecast and Savage Love and you're listening to a Swing Set podcast Mm -hmm. at Swing Set
1: FM